Operation Experiment, a precise scientific enterprise that unleashes a prehistoric entity known as the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. He wasn't quite from 20,000 Fathoms, was he? He was more like a uh, beast from six feet down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the question is, will we survive the six-foot fall in this episode, Alex? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, what was it? <laughs> what was his name? That, that, uh, was that it, like, it was a George, was it? It was a... Uh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it might have been Dr. Ritchie. <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Richie. Yeah, Richie. Uh, Richie. Yeah, George Richie. Richie. Yeah. He had that six foot fall that just oh, was man. hilarious. Yeah. Just... I mean, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, pretty much uh, Nesbitt just literally jumped up <laughs> yeah. and pulled himself up. With He didn't even need that rope. He could just jump up and, and get himself. But yeah, I mean, and he fell on snow too, but he still somehow like really hurt himself pretty bad. Well, he broke his leg, and now it wasn't that that killed him. Um, no, but anyway, welcome back to the Monsters versus Men <laughs> podcast. This is the bargain basement of Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, as we said, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. I'm Eric, and I'm Alex. And the next twenty six seconds will determine if these two men have succeeded or failed in their review of this film, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna fail in thirty in twenty six seconds, that's for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. No, twenty six seconds. We might a little a little bit longer than that. But this episode it falls at a crossroads for us, you know. Like we just finished our Godzilla vs. Kong series. We just wrapped up Pacific Rim the Black, season one at least. Um, and we're about to start our Giant monster movie madness. Uh, and this is going to be standalone giant monster films from the 21st century. And I am super excited about that. Um, and we'll have some more details about that a little bit later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait. It, it's a it's, it's fun smackdown online. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun for sure. But Alex, you have ghost written an introduction for me. Shall shall I read this and see if you've captured my voice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's see if you have captured my pretentiousness, shall we? <laughs> I didn't put a quote in there, so I think that's the only thing missing. <laughs> yeah, you need a literary quote, but let's, let's see how you do. Let's see how you do. In 1953... The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms was the first film to have a creature awakened by nuclear bombs. Met with immediate commercial and critical success, it immediately inspired films like Them and Godzilla. Much like a detonated nuclear bomb, the effects of this film are long-lasting. I don't know if that's politically correct, but we'll go with it. (laughs) So my question for you, Alex, is does the original deserve to hold the mantle or do other movies Hold the candle. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good, by the way. Pretty yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Besides the questionable 
comparison correct between the nuclear bomb and this yeah, movie. Yeah, that's that might be questionable, but, no, but this but. movie has nuclear bombs in it. It's appropriate. It's fine. We'll just that, we'll just ignore the all the people killed by nuclear bombs. And yeah, it's exactly. Okay. That's what we do on this show. Yeah, right, is we just ignore <laughs> horrific events. Conveniently Absolutely. ignore history. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so does the original deserve to hold the mantle, or do others hold the candle, Alex? Now I see why you told people I ghost wrote this one because you didn't want to be responsible for that. So thanks, Eric. Um, so, uh, but yeah, in terms of whole, what deserves to hold the mantle of this film, I mean, yeah, I, I get the film is this film is very important. That much is pretty apparent as I'm watching it. A lot of influence. I mean, without this family, would have gotten Godzilla, like mm. you, like you said, um, which is superior to this. And I don't think many people would actually debate that. Right. Um, no, there was all, not too many. Yeah, not, I, people would, but I think most would probably maybe some like weird people like Henry. But yeah, besides no. Henry, no. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but there's also like no doubt that this film presents just so many cool ideas, like from things like the contagion oh, that's uh, in the blood from the Rodorosaurus, which is just really cool idea. Like it almost gave me like alien like vibes, like mm-hmm. the the acidic. His blood isn't acidic, but you know, it's got Toxic. that kind of yeah. Literally toxic. Yes. So, and then there's like sequences with, from within the city that just reminded me of so many other movies. And then we, we get some character archetypes that are present in this yeah. film, namely the individual who sees the value in studying the creature rather than killing it. And, yeah. you know, seeing like potential advancement for society and keeping it alive because of what you can learn from it. It feels remarkably similar to Godzilla in that way. Which is no surprise, seeing as Godzilla is pretty much a ripoff of this movie. That being said, I'm not sure how great the film still is. It, it, it certainly has some great aspects, like the effects, but mm-hmm. I don't know how big I am on it. Yeah, well, ripoff, Godzilla being a ripoff of this movie might be taking it a bit too far, but definitely inspired. You can you can see some of those elements in Godzilla for sure. Um I think this film deserves a lot of credit for what it does well. The effects for 1953, in some way, they're both ahead of its time and yet not a huge improvement over the past 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because 20 years, it's prior is King Kong, which I would say is this film superior still, right? Um, Now, the beast itself looks great. I love that design. It's simple, sleek. And it feels like an intelligent, gigantic dinosaur, which I guess it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I would focus on the effects when looking at why this film is considered a classic giant monster movie. Instead, I would look at some of the things you said, like the archetypes and also the genre tropes, something I love talking about in our Toho series. Mm-hmm. And this film really sets that mold for what to expect in these types of films. It has mystery. It has disbelief. It has panic and confusion, acknowledgement and awareness, that point of climatic crisis. And then finally, a bit of creativity to help solve the issue with that haunting final shot that made me feel the closest to how I felt at the end of Rodan since Rodan. I don't think it does it quite as well, but I did have similar feelings there. Hmm. Uh, There's just that bit of melancholy. Add in those enjoyable characters, the clever dialogue, and the crafted sets, in particular that paleontologist office, and you have the makings of an influential film. 
Yeah, and it, again, the influence can't be denied. I mean, and there is there is a lot to praise here. And like you said, the characters are really interesting. I, I liked all of them, really. And the dialogue is really enjoyable, really quotable. Like, there was a lot. I, I had a lot of uh, lines written down for mm-hmm. this one for my favorite line. Now, this is where the problem comes in for me is that the pacing is rough. The, the first act and third act are wonderfully paced, actually. But yeah. while I'm, in, I'm invested in Nesbitt and Hunter's journey to prove the monster exists, it's pretty boring. And it's kind of overlong. Like I, I, while I like the ideas that are presented, they're not done so really in an entertaining way. Like luckily, I still enjoyed their character interactions and dialogue throughout these moments, especially when Elson's presence is among them because he's got some great lines as well. Mm-hmm. He's a really charming character who yeah. just loves his job. I just really like him. But oh yeah, for an eighty-minute film, I will say it feels overlong. Hmm. I don't know if I would agree that it is too long, but I, I see what you're saying. I, I don't know if the thirds, like the first third, second third, third third of this film hold together and, and create a coherent whole, but I'm sure I'll get there in time. Now, there's an element of this film that feels like a Graham Greene written, Carol redirected picture but that's probably just the production value, the time period, and some of that dialogue, which sure. you mentioned. I, I know that that's going to turn some people off, but for me, it really added a value to this experience. Also, I honestly didn't quite know what to expect in this film. I can't believe that they killed off Dr. Elson. I mean, <laughs> I was actually pretty shocked. Now, you can debate whether you know that was effective um, or <laughs> if it had any emotion behind it, but... I still, I couldn't believe that they did it. Like, why would you want to kill off such a charming character? But, oh, well. And I think that underwater sequence is actually technically better crafted, a better crafted underwater sequence than 1954's Godzilla underwater sequence. Now, I'm not going as far as to say that it works better because I think even the less than fabulous camera work that we see in in that Godzilla scene fits the overall feel and tone of that movie. Um and it adds just to the emotional impact. But on a technical level, this is actually shot better, I would oh. say. Uh, yeah, and I would agree with that completely. Um, and the underwater scene, it is definitely te- technically better. I mean, it's got more layers to it. It's got more effects going on in it. The whole scene is technically better. But I think Godzilla's underwater scene is just, it's not even close. Like yeah, I we agree. get, we get the death of you know Elson dies in this, uh-huh. and there's no impact. Like I actually laughed at how lame it was. <laughs> like it's just him going, just staring at it in Marvel until he dies, and there's you just laugh. like nothing. There's no, no like talking, and then it cuts off, and so it just kind of like loses all impact for me. And I just kind of <laughs> what type I, of a cold human being are you, Alex? I yeah, know. I know. Like I actually, yeah, I know, I know. I <laughs> laughed. I actually laughed. So you know, and then when we get like this in comparison to something like Sirizawa's death, and while not as technically well done, it actually had emotion because not only that, we felt something genuine for Sirizawa and Godzilla at the same time. Now you yeah. contributed to the moving music, but I think it is the there was meaning behind Sirizawa's death. Yeah. You know, and there's no meaning behind Elson other than, ooh, look, big dinosaur. So I, I do think like the big third act, like I mentioned earlier, is excellent though. Like 
watching this made me feel like I was watching some of the better moments of Godzilla 98, actually, during the city chase stuff. Like, I mean, I was been thinking about it. I think I've even seen someone online mention this, but G98 feels like more of a remake to this movie yeah. than any Godzilla film. Yeah, I think that's the general consensus at this point, right? Is like Godzilla 98, if it hadn't been called Godzilla, it had been called Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, might have been actually a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible because it's impossible to judge that movie uh, free from its name, you know? Yeah, yeah. So as much as we all think we can. Uh, I especially like when he decides to like divert his path through a building. It's just mm-hmm. awesome. Oh, and, that is cool. And yeah. just like so creative for the time. Like that Redorosaurus when he emerges from the building, it's awesome. Anytime a monster walks through a building, I'm sold. So <laughs> now why he decided to like in the very final moments of this movie to go chew on a roller coaster, I don't know. Like, he's not eating anybody. He's just over there, like, gnawing on some wood and track for no reason. And the finale overall is just, it's just so odd. So, so mm. odd. But I love it. Like, it's Yeah, creative. we were watching this movie together, and I was like, are they really getting on the ride right now? <laughs> it's so good. It's creative and goofy. I think overall, though, I think it's actually well done because it's just so entertaining and like fun. It's almost out of place <laughs> in mm-hmm. some ways, and then it leads to that overall like somber ending that you kind of mentioned. It and I do like it, but it the emotion that I feel for the Redorosaurus or it's just not really earned except for in that final moment, like seeing this beast sadly die because we don't even have like that connection with. Um, Elson being sad that he's gone because Elson got killed by him for no reason. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's some questionable things in this film. I just don't I just don't know what to think. Like even my yeah. ups have downs. Well, I would just echo what you were saying. The city scene is fantastic. Two standout parts for me in that city scene. First, it's the fact that the I'm I am just going to call it the beast and not the Redorosaura what well, I, like I just I know I'll be corrected so yeah. I'll call it the beast <laughs> the fact that the drips of blood become puddles of toxic waste like that is awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah um and second the the scene where the beast meets the electric wires you know the lighting of that scene is just so cool the way it, it dims and then becomes brighter with each bite of the wire, it really showcases the veracity of this animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just like to, to reemphasize the characters here. Uh, Dr. Elson, you mentioned them before, but man, I can't believe they killed off this sweet man. <laughs> he was really likable, even in his disbelief. To me, he was the most relatable because of that initial skepticism, which was completely believable considering his position and his knowledge. But I give him credit for coming around when he was shown evidence to the contrary of his mm. belief, right? Mm. Now, I didn't like a line that he said a little bit later on when he was talking to someone and he's, he was talking to another skeptic and about UFOs. And he's like, oh, what makes you think UFOs aren't real? That, that was out of character for this character, right? Um, but besides mm. that, really, really cool um, character in Dr. Elson. But 
thinking about Dr. Elson makes me think about the messaging of this film, which is pretty interesting. This is a pro-science movie. Ask science to continually question itself because that's what science is all about. And I think the character that embodies this ideal is Lee Hunter, Elson's assistant. Mm -hmm. I actually wish we got more of her character, honestly. Um, More character that is than the characterization we get, which is her giving awkward kisses (laughs) to Elson every second, right? (laughs) She's got more character than that, though. She does. She does. does. I I really like her. I like her, too. I was just like, this is kind of awkward at this (laughs) point. Like, this is like kiss number three on the lips, okay? (laughs) But seriously, she embodies this idea that if you want to take science seriously, you have to hold up the evidence. Um, So I I did. I liked her character quite a bit. Yeah, I do. You make a really good point there. I didn't really think about was the challenging of science throughout. And like you said, the presenting of all ideas and facts and then taking it for what it's worth. Yeah, it's, I think if you're not careful, you can say you can like get into conspiracy theory stuff right there, but it's not conspiracy theory. If there's facts, behind it right like in scientific backed facts and, and that's what it's asking science to do is take a look at all angles and see if you're right or wrong in in this case right which is kind of it echoes some of our godzilla versus kong conversation about bernie <laughs> um and his angle going into that film so it's it's not that we're trying to create some sort of conspiracy theory here with alternate facts is that we're taking a look at the facts that are presented in a scientific way and adding to our knowledge when it doesn't quite fit our hypothesis that we had before. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, today on MVM Plus, Alex, we are going to talk about our bracket that we're creating for our competition, the Monsters vs. Men Best of Standalone 21st Century Giant Monster Movies. We generated a list. We generated a list of 50 movies, and then we posted this list online. Um, I posted it on several different places. We got a bunch of votes. People could choose up to eight of the films from the 50 to choose to, to make our Sweet 16. And we are going to reveal that Sweet 16 and determine the seeds and the matchups on MVM Plus today. Um, so I'm really excited about that. We will be posting the first matchup. Uh, this upcoming week. So you may actually see that matchup uh, before this episode is released because we'll be talking about the first winner for our Elite Eight in our next episode. I'm excited for this episode Mm. or the series, Alex. It's going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yep. So we'll see what those matchups are. We'll determine our first one versus four seed matchup uh, for our first film coming up next week. But before we get there, before we get to MVM Plus, uh, let's get into our awards. Alex, coolest character award, who you got? You know, I did have Nesbit on here because he's got an interesting arc because he goes, you know, he's Caesar Adorosaurus. He is deemed crazy. He eventually agrees, essentially, and wipes it from his memory. And then he comes back around. But... After talking, I think Lee Hunter is actually my coolest character. She's the one that's willing to listen to all the facts and question what is actually going on. She's maybe not as jaded as Elson is on yeah. like all these stories. You know, he has that quote about if you had all the store all the stories about sea monsters, if you stacked them on top of each other, you'd reach the moon. 
And that just kind of goes to show how jaded he is and probably how many times he's been misled. So I like that she's willing to give that chance and she's this conduit between uh, Nesbitt and Elson and pushing the narrative forward. And really, she's the whole reason they're even able to do anything that they do. Great choice. Great choice. I was thinking originally Dr. Elson um, until we got to the final scene of the movie and we just decided to pull the coolest of the cool characters out in that sharpshooter at the end mm, <laughs> that mm, rides the ride with Nesbitt. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he has a name, but man, he's awesome. you want to talk about a cool character. That guy oozes cool. He has got the jawline. He's got the hair. He has got like just the demeanor. Yeah, like you're just like, the, man. He's got the confidence. They're like, that hey, can guy, you shoot that? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's like his one line of the movie. Yes. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Of course, this guy's the sharpshooter, right? He's just so confident in himself. Um, he's He definitely has to be the coolest character. So it had to be that for the coolest character award. <laughs> you know what I didn't even think about? Huh. Why do they put those suits on? It's the toxicity. Well, that, that's the idea, right? But yeah, is it bleeding anywhere? Like, I, I guess uh, it has the gaping wound. I guess they're close to it. That, yeah, right? and they're they're about to shoot it. So I guess they I could guess explode it on could. them. It should have yeah. shown blood just rain down on them. That would have been nice for a nineteen fifty fifties movie. Would have been really cool. <laughs> We did get one eating scene, I guess. Oh, yeah, we that did. That was pretty pushing the limits, probably. We should have seen Elson get eaten, like chewed on a little bit, like his bones <laughs> hanging out of his mouth when he resurfaced. There oh, you go. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about your most memorable line award? Um, so mine comes from Tom Nesbitt, and it's at the beginning of the film before he sees the monster. He says, the world's been here for millions of years. Man's been walking for a relatively short time. Mentally, we're still crawling. Um, I just thought it was cool, right? It was a good way to actually preface some of the ideas and themes that we see in the film. Uh, I made you go back and turn the subtitles on on this movie so that I could make sure I got that quote right, Alex. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My line, mine was uh, Lee Hunter. It's actually a combo line. I don't know if I normally do that, but uh, Lee Hunter said, uh, she, she's kind of reminiscing about how things used to be. And she says, uh, what she liked about paleontology was how uncomplicated the past was. And Elson mm. said, and how bright the future can be. Mm. And I really like that, uh, juxtaposition of ideas of just two different outlooks that you can completely have. And we always have about the past, how uncomplicated it was, but it's, rarely do we focus on how bright the future could actually be. This is true. This is true. Um, this re- That reminds me, Alex, of a line that I wrote down that I considered for my most memorable line, which was from Dr. Elson. You know, as he is, uh, as he's sipping his coffee uh, and and going to the sea to find this dinosaur, which why why he's taking coffee with them, I'm I'm confused as well. But it definitely adds to his character. Well, he didn't know how long he was going to be down there. I guess right. We don't know how long he's down there. He could be down there for hours. And he just he, this is a man of class, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> he said something along the lines of, and I think I have this quote slightly wrong. He 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 says something along the lines of, I feel like I'm leaving a world of untold tomorrows. For a world of countless yesterdays. It's something like that. He says, yeah, I'm leaving a world of untold tomorrows for a world of countless yesterdays. That's right. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. 
that's that's kind of poetic but i knew then he was a gone he was a goner <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 well he doesn't have a whole bunch of tomorrows does he no. um <laughs> that's what why a- he's leaving the world of untold tomorrows. <laughs> exactly uh, um <laughs> I, you know eric we hit on earlier my my i want to go ahead and do my that can't believe that acting award uh, sure. to the you called it a six foot fall. That's probably more in line. I had written down a four foot fall because it just feels completely ridiculous with how short of a fall it is. Oh man, Richie though, Richie yeah, could Ross, not take it. Ross Elliott is George Richie doing that <laughs> that ridiculous fall. Oh, the moan. Well, the moan afterwards <laughs> is what moan. made it. It's the moan <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, it like oversells the trauma. Like he fell. Oh. Like he fell two stories. It's like, dude, he didn't even fall a foot. Like he didn't even fall one story. Yeah, I mean, if he broke his leg, fair to him, you know. But <laughs> man, come on. <laughs> um. So my can't believe that acting. I believe it's Jacob Bowman, um, the character. Uh, if the character is the same character, I'm thinking of it's. It's a reaction shot. Uh, and reaction shots are tricky. I think in um monster movies like they have to be genuine and yet over the top at the same time (laughs) right right? you know and this so i thought i was gonna call it it might be jacob bowman or it might just be the skipper of the ship that the beast destroys right The, the one who's who's uh piloting the ship um he's the one that sees the beast we kind of get this beast point of view shot and his head just turns slightly and his captain is trying to order him to do something and he's just there in shock responding and backing away slowly and it really captured that over the top but shocked sort of feeling that you would you would have if you actually saw a beast come out of the water at that moment so (laughs) i believe again i believe it's jack pinnock it's jacob bowman but uh i could be wrong (laughs) if not it's the skipper on the boat (laughs) what about your uh staying out effect award uh, so my, my standout effect and my, sh- my uh, oh, that's a good shot award are interchangeable probably. Mm-hmm. But for the standout effect, I'm going to go for one of the long shots of the beast attack on the city. Um, there's a couple of composite shots. You might call them split screen shots where we get a shot of the monster um, interposed maybe is the right word with like a scene of, of action in the foreground. And the one, yeah. some of them worked, some of them didn't work. Uh, the one that I thought worked really well was one where the beast was in the background, a long shot, and you had cars driving away from him in the foreground. It added a sense of dimension to the scale of this beast. Uh, and the fact that you had these cars moving away from him and him in the background really sold it. Right? It really sold it, and you couldn't tell that there was split screens at that moment. Yeah. So I was really impressed by that shot, or that yeah. effect, I should say. Yeah, they, it's so impressive, like the overlaying of those mm-hmm. um, effects. Uh, yeah, what about you? I think mine might be the one that's interchangeable with yours that you Probably. mentioned. Mine's the lighthouse attack. With yeah. the, It's in particular one little detail that I really liked about it, and it's the staircase that is like a remnant after he destroys it. Cause we see the two characters running down the, the spiral staircase and then the Redorosaurus knocks it's over half of it, and, but it leaves the staircase, but it's like mangled, but you could still tell that the staircase was a spiral, even though it's been like straightened out quite a bit by the destruction. 
it's just this really cool little detail and you could tell like there's just a lot of care put into these effects yeah no absolutely um you know alex another i thought about choosing a couple of like the panic scenes from the city as a standout effect because there were a couple of really cool ones one was <laughs> i guess this could have been can't believe that acting as well but one was the blind man in the mm. city remember the blind man <laughs> Yeah, that like everyone runs by. It's like uh, there's some social commentary there. Uh, he like falls down, and people are just like running no one over helps him. him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the other was there's a scene where a building is destroyed. People are running down these steps, and this woman genuinely like looks like she's about to get hurt. Uh, like she like falls, and <laughs> oh, no. I was like, oh man, they they just kept everything in these films, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, that was intense. So <laughs> go back, take a look at that scene again, because they they left some things in there that I was like, man, that she probably really got hurt at that moment. I need to, I need to go check it out. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, there were some other cool effects too. Like when he stepped on the train and like crushed it, it it's just the metal being crushed looks so good. Like, uh-huh. and then he steps on a car as well. It's just, I'm just impressed. Just completely impressed. <laughs> Well, what about your? Oh, that's a good shot award. Mine had to be a shot of the two of them on the roller coaster. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just completely preposterous. The whole thing. It's just like the imagery is just. It's, it's insane, so, but it is really cool when they're up there, like at the top of the hill. Yeah, know? yeah. It's, it looks cool, but it's also like it this does look cool. So dumb. It's insane, but it looks really cool. Love it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, so you mentioned it. Yeah. And this is the one that's interchangeable, but it's the, the famous lighthouse shot. Um, it's just done really well, especially the lighting in that scene, I think, uh, is especially impressive. And so, Alex, I don't know. I, I have We didn't mention this already, but the beast from 20,000 Fathoms is actually inspired by a short story from Ray Bradbury called The Foghorn. Um, and the foghorn in short, I really recommend it. Any, anybody that's listening to this episode, it will take you about 15 minutes to read this story, but it's, it's fantastic. Honestly, I really loved the story and the foghorn is just about two men in this lighthouse, (laughs) like the two men in that lighthouse as it's being attacked. That's what this entire short story is about. Um, there's nothing else besides those two men in this lighthouse, but I'll give you a little preview, Alex. This is, this is uh, a few lines from the foghorn. All right. All right. The foghorn blew. the monster answered. I saw it all. I knew it all. The million years of waiting alone for someone to come back who never came back. The million years of isolation at the bottom of the sea, the insanity of time there while the skies cleared of reptile birds, the swamps fried on the continental lands, the sloths and saber-tooths had their day and sank in tar pits, and man ran like white ants upon the hills. The foghorn blew. There's a little preview for you. (laughs) It's really cool. It's a really cool story, Um, which is a lot to think about, a lot to think about after it as well. I, I wish the film actually leaned into this some of the ideas presented in that story just a bit more. It would have made for an even better film. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I'll have to read it. Yeah, for sure. What about your rating and ranking? Well, I've praised this film 
Uh, I've praised this film for the most part, and I think it deserves a lot of praise. Uh, though I don't think there's a strong emotional attachment to the proceedings in the final third of the film. We talked about how much of a marvel that is, and it really is. I don't know if there's that emotional attachment that makes me care about how it's going to play out. Now, these characters are excellent, and they need to be in order to pull off that sharp-witted back-and-forth dialogue. Mm-hmm. I like some of the ideas explored in the first half of this film as well. And yet when it comes together as a single entity, it just doesn't fall into place as much, in my opinion, as a coherent whole. There's just a missing piece there, and I think it is that emotional layering. I do have some emotion for the Beast of the End. As I said, it reminds me a bit of the, the scene at the end of Rodan. But that emotion is mostly me and not the film wanting me to have that emotion. Um, the film has made the Beast the villain, right? The Beast killed Elson, who we all loved. But yeah, yeah, I would strongly, again, recommend uh, listeners to read The Foghorn in order to get a feel for what I think could have been added to this film, that emotional layering. But I do really like what we have. It's definitely an influence for so many of the films that we have watched on this show, Alex. So for me, this is a 3.5 out of 5. Wow. Yeah, I'm... I'm really mixed on this one. You know, like you said, it deserves a lot of praise. Creative ideas like the atomic bomb awakening a beast to contagion blood to some of these cool deep sea scenes and character archetypes. There's some, you know, there's some credit that needs to be given undoubtedly. That being said, this is a, this is an 80 minute movie that feels like two hours for me. Um, I haven't checked the clock on anything that we've seen in quite a while. And I did it a couple times during this film, which is just, for me, that's a bad, bad sign. So I know that this is a favorite of the community. And with my rating, I'm really debating on, do I rate it higher because of its influence? Because it's undoubtedly influential. Or do I I just rate it on my enjoyment? I think you rate it on your enjoyment. I don't think think we really try to... No. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we just take the film at face value. So yes, I, w- is, I would definitely say that. Which is why I'm giving it a 2.5 out of 5. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I've disappointed you all. Wow. <laughs> no, I mean, let's just take a moment of silence for uh, Alex bo- here as he is hated forevermore. Because <laughs> I, know, I know we got some listeners that messaged me and said this is their favorite movie. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I see. I didn't have that issue with the pacing. I honestly... I was really engaged in this movie. <laughs> um, it might have been that I was watching with you, Alex. We were doing the, like, you did a screen pass with me, which was really cool, by the way. Yeah. Um, that was, was awesome. Cool. Uh, and I knew, like, I couldn't go back or I couldn't fast forward or I couldn't rewind. And so I was just like, I'm, I have to pay really, really close attention here. Make sure that, like, this is the one shot I get in this movie right now. <laughs> so that's what I, I ended up doing. And I think maybe that extra attention just made me a little bit more engaged, there <laughs> um, is, which is interesting. I, I did an article. Well, I won't talk about it too much <clears throat> so people can read it. But I did write something that talks about that. And there is studies saying that if people watch things together, even from remote locations, that they enjoy it more. Interesting. Huh. And I did probably enjoy this more with watching it with you because of some of the little uh, emojis we were able to send back and forth, like laughing at the four foot fall <laughs> and stuff like that. So I, I got some really good laughs out of that. Oh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I recommend this to any uh, monster movie fan. 
if you you need to see this to understand where a lot of the influences come from and some really cool ideas just yeah. uh you know it may or may not be for you but you should probably watch it for sure for sure um well, hey, Alex, no rhyme time today. No rhyme time today because we still don't know what we're going to watch for next week yet. It just depends <laughs> on how the votes turn out. Um, and, of course, the votes depend on you, the listener, for voting. And two ways you can vote. You can vote on Twitter uh, at MVM underscore pod. But you can also vote on Patreon. And, and so that actually holds more weight because what we'll do is um, Twitter gets a vote, which is just for everybody. But then also, uh, Patreon gets a vote. And if those votes are split, then it goes to executive producers and Alex and I uh, to decide the winner. Um, We'll kind of have a conference about it if those two votes are split. So you get a little bit more weight if you are one of our uh, bargain base mites over at Patreon.com. Well, not only that, they they get weight on Patreon and they can have weight on Twitter, too. Exactly. Yeah. Double the weight. Mm-hmm. Double the Double weight. weight. <laughs> you can also follow us on Instagram at MVM underscore pod on, on Letterboxd where Eric Neely and Alex Cornett. I created a list on letter, Letterboxd, Alex, with all 50 movies um, from from our list uh, mm. here. So you should check that out. I was real on Letterboxd because we know you don't. I was, yeah, no, I know. I was sitting there uh, last night or two nights ago, like realizing a couple of movies we didn't add. And I was like, oh, Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow. And I was like, Has, have is you that seen a monster that, movie? I've seen that movie. Is that a monster movie? Yeah, that's what they're fighting the whole time. They're fighting aliens. Yeah, but well, is alien, it depends. There are some aliens that are giant monster movies, but like, how giant are these aliens? I can't remember, honestly. They're bigger than the people. Yeah, so Taylor at at Giant Monster Messages would would call those giant. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty loose criteria, but there is an other option. So if you wanted to write that one in, you could, Alex. Uh, I've already voted, so it's too late. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to email us feedback, we're mvmpod at gmail.com, or you can leave us feedback on our website, mvmpod.com. We already mentioned Patreon over at patreon.com slash mvmpod, but you'll get weekly off-the-cuff episodes between me and Alex. Um, And if you feel so led, um, really, honestly, a review on iTunes really helps encourage us and helps other people find the show. Monster vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week. Try to stay alive. He wasn't quite from 20,000 Fathoms, was he? He was more like uh, Beast from Six Feet Down.